Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for tonight's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Brian High School graduate Matt Jones, and uh, Brian's a basketball lifer and a basketball junkie that's got what is what I think one of the most unique journeys in, in basketball playing and coaching uh, that I've ever seen, and a coaching career that involves stops in Division Three, Division Two, Junior College, Division One, uh, prep school, and, and now coaching overseas uh, recently as well. Uh, in the Premier League in in Israel, so it's uh, it's a fascinating journey, great story for a guy from from Northwest Ohio, and I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Matt Jones. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for this episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. I have. Uh, an interesting guest today, a, a little bit unique. I mean, we've, we've gone down the route of having a, a lot of high school coaches, um, small college coaches. We've had a couple of, of or a Division One uh, assistant and, and guys with and ladies with unique stories and, and coaching backgrounds. And, and this really fits in that vein. I'm, I'm really blessed to have as my guest today, Matt Jones. And Matt is a native of Bryan, Ohio, and northwest, way up in the northwest corner uh, of the state of Ohio. And Matt has a, a very non-traditional path in, in, in the game of basketball, and I'm, I'm looking forward to letting Matt tell his story. So, Matt, I, I think some of our listeners are going to be familiar with you. You, you had mentioned to me that you, you, you graduated from Bryan High School. You played for Coach Billman while you were there. So your, your roots are here, but maybe more so than any other guest that I've had on, you're, you're not anchored to any one or two places. No, basketball. Uh, basketball has been good to me. I've bounced around. I've spent time in Alabama, Florida, North Carolina, and uh, now living in Lexington, Kentucky, with uh, with a few uh, with a pit stop in Israel along the way. <laughs> Who hasn't had a pit stop in Israel? I mean, that's 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 everybody's journey, right? I'm looking forward to talking about that part of your journey for sure, Matt. Um, so let let's just get into. Uh, First of all, your your early career as as a player. I mean, you're a young guy. You haven't turned 30 yet. You told me that's that's coming up next month. So you're a very young guy who's packed a lot of experiences into a brief period of time. But your roots are in Bryan, Ohio, and you're a 2009 graduate of Bryan High School. Talk a little bit about your playing career at Bryan and what the impact that had on you as far as your interest in and and desire to have a career in basketball. Yeah. Uh, so my whole life just been a basketball junkie. Uh, it was one of those things where growing up, all I ever really wanted to be was a high school basketball player. Like grew up going to all the games in elementary school and all of that. And just uh, going to state basketball tournament every year in Columbus with my dad and just been ate up with it my whole life. Um, so with my high school career, um, played on the freshman team as a freshman. My sophomore year was Coach Billman's first year. He had bumped up from the JV coach to varsity coach. So my first year uh, taking my varsity lumps was his first year, kind of cutting his teeth as a head coach. Uh, so kind of share a special bond with him from that. Um, you know, really – I had some okay years as a sophomore and a junior, um, you know, played a lot of games. I was really blessed. Coach gave me the opportunity to start, pretty much started every game, sophomore through my senior year of high school. Uh, my senior year kind of culminating with winning the league championship, uh, the NWAL, uh, shared it with Evergreen that year. It was definitely a super special memory for me. Um, you know, I'm still, there's 
five, six seniors on that team. You know, three or four of those guys I'm still really close with to this day. So just kind of a special memory in that regard. Um, but, you know, Coach Billman uh, just been super impactful for me as a as a player then. And, you know, just the way he chased the game, the hours he put in, and it really like what I took from him is he was just a competitor. You know, and like that was what he was all about was competing and getting after it, and especially on the defensive end. Um, and that's where I think he and I always – we always didn't see eye-to-eye offensively and on some other things, <laughs> and we laugh about it now. But defensively, like he always knew, you know, I was going to compete and we were going to, you know, we are going to try to have tough people. Um, and that's kind of one of the things I've carried, carried on now and been able to be around some, you know, pretty high-level players and high-level basketball. But, like, really just comes down to are you going to – you know, are you going to defend and are you going to compete? And that's kind of like one of the main things I really look back at my high school career and coach Stillman's impact on me that's still a part of me now and and I, I love that you you talked about the focus on competing I, you know Matt I, I'm I'm a little bit admittedly old school and, and I think you know I, I'm raising a son right now who's a high school senior and and I love my son I adore my son he's played a, a lot of basketball in his life and, and he really enjoys it um but I would say that that's a real accurate description of his of his connection to the game is he enjoys it um, I, I don't know that he really loves it, um, and I and a part of that is that I don't know that he is a driven competitor, and I don't know that it's an oddity these days, but it feels to me like the the number of kids that are really really that have a grasp on what it means to compete every day uh, is a little bit fewer and further between than it used to be. I, I see kids that, that play and they 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 treat practices a little bit differently than they do games, and they treat games. Uh, against certain teams different than they do games against other teams and so when you talked about developing that desire to compete right away and and early on I think there's remarkable value in that the question I I would ask of you is as a young kid you know playing for coach Billman your your first year as a sophomore and playing three years of varsity basketball again my experience is in the last handful of years maybe 10 or, or or so years I it seems to me that there are fewer and fewer young people in the game that when they play it, they, they they think about it like a coach would think about it. Did you always see yourself as a guy that might want to coach down the road, or was that something that developed later on? That, that's a funny question. People ask me that a lot. I honestly had no – I had never really thought about coaching. Uh, when my college playing days kind of started to wind down, I realized, like, I've always been a part of a team, and I still love to compete. And I wasn't really sure what else I wanted to do in life. Um, so that that whole coaching thing kind of came on later. Uh, my main thing is, like, I just wanted to compete and I wanted to win, you know. And so that was – that's still kind of what fuels me now um, I, from the coaching side is, like, I'm not super driven by wins and losses. Like, I want to compete. Like, my philosophy is if you go out there and you compete as hard as you can and everyone on your team competes to the best of their ability and you still lose, then that's just – that's how it goes. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's a, a really good perspective for a young guy. I, I can remember spending time in in the late 90s and, and through the 2000s when I coached high school basketball, and, and I would get funny looks from the players when I would say to them, and I said this very frequently, I said, fellas, there's only one feeling in the world that comes close to, to going out on the court and, and completely spending yourself and giving everything you've got to get a win. The only thing that comes close to that is doing the same thing and losing. <laughs> because, because, because nothing replaces that part, there, the, the, that giving everything you've got to something like that and to the pursuit of that. 
obviously winning is what you're after. But the only thing that rivals that is if you do that and you happen to come up short, you still it's it's the com- investment in the competition that that's hugely important to me. And I and, and I love hearing young guys talk that way. So when when you reach the end of of your playing career in high school, 2009. Um, what kind of options did you have before you and what, what, what opened some of the doors for you that led to a playing career after high school? Yeah. So, you know, like most kids grow up wanting to play college ball at the college level. Um, and like most kids, a lot of the kids I encounter now, I just had no idea how good or not good I was. And obviously more people than not, they're not as quite as good as they think they are in their own head or maybe what their parents think. Uh, so I had, you know, a mix of NAIA, Division two, Division three uh, stuff. I had a pretty good senior year. You know, I was a 6'2 white kid who could jump a little bit and saw the floor. Was never a great shooter, but could, could make some things happen. So I had a mix of different schools who were interested, who wanted to come see me work out or come, come play open gym. And the more I thought about it and talked to people, I started considering the junior college option um, just because – I knew I had a long way to go, but I know I had a, like a, a, some potential. Like my game was still growing, I was still growing, I was getting more athletic, um, and so I started looking into the junior college thing. Um, had some people helping me. Um, ended up going to a, a open gym at Owens in Toledo. Coach kind of took a liking to me and basically said, you know. I think you can get to this level, but you're 6'2 and 170 pounds. Uh, and, you, you know, well, you got to show you can guard. you got to put on some weight. You've got to shoot a little bit better. So I ended up going there uh, my freshman year as a red shirt, practiced some, put on some weight, whatnot. Um, and that, that was kind of what led me to that college choice. Um, a little bit unorthodox just with the junior college uh stigmas and the type of kids that usually recruit but I you know I saw it as a developmental thing and I I know I needed to prove that I could shoot it and that I could do some other things that would take to play at you know a scholarship level when when you get the opportunity to to go to a place like Owens but but red shirt becomes the the avenue I've heard so many different people talk about their red shirt year whether it's a red shirt year at the beginning of their career or the red shirt year you know after a transfer um, and there's varied opinions, but the, the consensus seems to be that when you go into a redshirt year, you have to attack, you know, what you're there for. What, what, what's the redshirt year supposed to be doing for you, whether it's gaining weight, whether it's adding, you know, quickness or agility, improving your, your skill base or some combination of all those things. When you think about that redshirt year, is there anything that stands out about that year that was really, really good for you? I just plan against players that were way better than me you know like most of the time playing in the nwal i was you know one of the most athletic kids on the floor one of the bigger guys always all that and then you go there and everyone's you know lightning quick or can really shoot really jump so just adjusting to the speed of play like most college kids but like for me it was very it was humbling i got humbled very quickly and is what i needed because i just didn't you don't know what you don't know and that's what i think a lot of kids don't you know, don't understand. It's until you get in that environment, see what it's like to have people go at you all the time. You don't know where you stand. And so I think that was the big thing for me was just adjusting to the speed, size, toughness of that type of game. And, and you know, it's interesting because I was really fortunate to spend several years uh, at two different places at Bluffton University and at Ohio Northern. 
uh, with the women's program primarily, but coaching at the Division three level. And what I was always struck by, Matt, during my time coaching small college basketball was regardless of what kind of career a player ended up having, whoever that player was, at some point during that player's freshman year, we had to talk them out of quitting. <laughs> Everybody kind of reached that point where they were a little bit in over their head. And when you describe that during a redshirt year, when you aren't getting to compete on game night, uh, night in, night out, was there ever a moment where you weren't sure if you were going to finish out that path? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. They definitely weren't – they didn't cater to me quite like I hoped they might and really invest in me, so I had to do a lot on my own. Um, and that's, you know, that's just the nature of it. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely – it was definitely tough. You know, seeing – watching them, everything, everyone thinks they can help the team. You know, I'd go and watch the games just to be sitting right behind the bench and being like, you know, I, I can go out there and give them five minutes and give something, you know. And yeah. you, just, you just want to – you want to compete as a competitor when you can't compete at each actually. Oh, and there's no question I would think that it would, and that's why I asked what what you gained from it because, I, you know, I've said this before on the podcast. There is an expression that I learned from my brother several years ago about not wasting your low point. You know, when life gets at its hardest and you're, you know, you feel like you're at the bottom, you, you, there, there's something to be gained from it. Don't waste it, you know, come out of it better than you were when you went in. And so when you get through that experience of a year uh, at Owens, um, ultimately you ended up at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. Is that correct? Yeah. I ended up spending my sophomore year there. Um, coach. So the, the coach at Owens at the time, I played at Kalamazoo Valley for, for Coach Dick Schultz, uh, who I had a plan for. So that was kind of the connection. The, the coach I was at Owens had left um, and went, went to go coach high school ball, coach his son. Um, so I wasn't going to kind of wait around and see what happened coaching-wise. So uh, Coach Schultz gave me an opportunity to, to, to go to Kalamazoo, and I have some family there, so it just kind of made sense. Uh, so I ended up going over there and playing for him, which ended up, Going into it, I knew it was going to be his last year of coaching. Uh, so it was his final year, and they had a really good team coming back. Um, so I ended up playing there as a sophomore. And, and again, I without putting you on the spot too much, you know, you talked about some of the things that playing for Coach Billman added to you and where you guys connected or maybe where you disagreed. Are there uh, any different things about your experience at Owens or at Kalamazoo Valley uh, that – that now that you look back, maybe you gained some things that were going to help you as a coach, and whether you were aware of it at the time or not? Yeah, uh, Coach Schultz um, was super impactful for me. Um, he, he actually is an Ohio connection. He played at Wittenberg. Um, he played, played for Eldon Miller there and then was at Western Michigan and then ended up going to Kalamazoo Valley when they, they started the program there like in the late 70s. But um, regardless, he was just – the main thing I took from him is he was like a, just a man of God um, and like lived it and breathed it. And just being around that type of person day to day who really invested in you and really was serious about his faith and those type of things was something like me as a coach now is just a good reminder. I mean, he won a ton of games and did a lot of things, but that was something like I'll just I'll just never forget he, just his impact and how he viewed the game and how he viewed life and how he treated us as, as players. You know, it's interesting, Matt, that you, that you say that because, you know, I, I'm a guy who, who was raised in a home where, where the faith life was important. And I think obviously we all go through things as we grow and get older and 
um, you know, high school and college, you, you kind of get on your own a little bit and maybe venture outside of, of, of your, your home base, so to speak. But, you know, to, to be a person like you are, like I am, that's a kind of a basketball junkie and coaching has always been a huge part of my life. There were times when it didn't feel like the all consuming nature of the game and the high levels of competition that we that we sought after. It didn't necessarily seem to always be a natural fit with a life of faith. And it's great to have men and or women in your life that demonstrate to you that you can be ultra competitive, uh, be highly driven to be great in your profession and still have your foundation not be shaken. I think there's a, a lot of value in that. And, and again, if, it, if, if, if it's if it's impactful on you, then there's the, then that's the value. Without a doubt, without a doubt, I totally agree with all those sentiments. Definitely, you know, in the. In college, like most people, it's an easy time where you have to figure out what you believe for yourself and you can drift away from your faith and those type of things. And just being around someone like him day to day, uh, yeah, just I can't express how impactful that is. And even when I look back on it now. So as you, as you get to the end of that second year uh, in the junior college route, were, were you starting to think about a, a, a possible career trying to play overseas? Were you starting to look at coaching as a career, where were you in your development as you came near the end of that second year in JUCO? Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to continue to play. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't a good college player uh, at all. <laughs> I, I found my way on the floor somehow, just being an IQ guy and being tough and competing. Um, but I ended up going. Uh, yeah, I just knew the writing was a wall. It, it, it was coming towards the end, and so um, ended up going to to Lourdes University initially. Was planning to play there started the season and my body started to shut down on me and I'm just like you know what I the the end is near I'm not going to prolong this I'm going to go ahead and start figuring out what I want to do next so went back a little bit closer to home and ended up finishing my degree degree at Lord University in Sylvania. So when you when you finish up that degree and you start looking at what's out there I mean for and and I I think I read on on your website all you really kind of knew was a career in the game of basketball was going to be important to you with the connections that you had made, the places that you had been in a very short period of time, were you able to use those connections to develop that next step? How did, how did your next step and your first, your first step into the coaching ranks come about? Yeah. So my, my senior year of college, I spent it and really some of my junior year too of college, I spent a lot of time just traveling around meeting with anybody who would meet me. Uh, went to a bunch of high school practices. Um, you know, there's a lot of people like Bruce Smith was at Pennsylvania South. You went to a bunch of their practices. Dave Clark was the head coach at Owens at the time. I was going there all the time and watching their practices and games. Uh, I got to know the GA University of Michigan was going up there some and going down to Columbus. One of your previous guests, Zach Fleer and I became really good friends. Still one of my really good friends. I'd go down there to go down to Columbus and just follow him around and we'd go watch games wherever and just trying to meet people. Uh, but what really started, you know, like a lot of young coaches getting out on the camp scene in the summer, um, that really opened a lot of doors for me. And honestly, I live in Lexington, Kentucky now because of it is I started working at University of Kentucky's camps and started networking there. They run a huge camp, you know, four or five hundred kids. So they need a lot of coaches. So great networking tool. Um, but I basically just lived out of my car doing camps all over the Midwest and Southeast in the summers. And that's what really I didn't really have anybody advising me what to do. Um, I just kind of knew that's 
what other people I talked to told me to do. So I just kind of pack up my car and hit the road for six, seven weeks in the summer and work at any and every camp I could get into. And, uh, you know, the goal was to get a grad assistant spot. I love basketball. I thought it's what I wanted to do, but my thought process was I'll go be a GA, get a year or two of experience, get a master's degree out of it. And then after the year or two, I can decide if this is what I really want to do. Well, I, I love hearing that part of the story because what you just described was a lot more common 20, 25 years ago than it is now. And I, I think there's a lot of a lot of coaches that'll listen to this that that'll that'll resonate with them that that's been in your your summer basically in your car and hitting the, the the camp scene and making those connections. It's an old school approach and one that I'm I'm glad to hear was effective for you. But it still leads me to ask this question: a guy who grew up in Bryan, Ohio, played JUCO ball in Toledo and Kalamazoo, Michigan, and finished college uh, in Sylvania. How in the world did you end up in Mobile, Alabama, at Spring Hill College? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. Um, honestly, it was a hoop dirt thing. You know, everyone checks hoop dirt religiously, and there's the whole thing that by the time it's posted, somebody's already been hired and all that. So it got to be the it got to be the end of the summer, and I was literally like, you know, it was probably I spent two months in my car traveling all over the place. It's probably you know first week of August, and uh, I was thinking about just going to grad school. I was going to go to Ohio Dominican and just go go for like sports management and just figure it out, volunteer coach somewhere. But I was still looking for a GA spot. People were telling me to be patient. I was checking hoop dirt like every 15 minutes, like nonstop. And one pops up for Spring Hill College. And I mean, at that point, like most guys, I'm just sending my my resume, my stuff to anybody, to any and everything. And didn't think much of it. Uh, the next day, the coach called me. Uh, coach Aaron Niven gave me a call. We talked. It went pretty well. He was interested. Uh, Spring Hill is a high, it's a Jesuit school, so it's a high academic school. So recruit kind of on a national level. And for whatever reason, he had a real interest in recruiting Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. So he's kind of looking for someone from that area. So just kind of the stars aligned. Uh, so I think the job posted Tuesday. We talked Wednesday. Talked again Thursday. Um, he thought over about it over the weekend, offered me the job Monday, and I was moving down there the Wednesday after. So I had never sat went sight unseen. I had never been to Alabama in my life. Uh, I knew, you know, I had heard of Mobile. I looked it up. I knew, you know, it wasn't the middle of nowhere. That was one of the other things that was important to me. I really just didn't – Some. God bless the people who are willing to live in the middle of nowhere to chase their dream. I've been lucky to <laughs> avoid that mostly. <laughs> well, I'll uh, I, I tell you what, Matt, I, I am a lover of the state of Alabama. My family has had property in the southeast corner of Alabama for most of my life. Um, there's a big difference between the southeast part of Alabama and the southwest part of Alabama. But I actually got my master's degree or spent part of a, a summer starting my master's degree near Mobile. Um, and and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. I really, really like Mobile, Alabama. I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to spend, a, you know, a calendar year there, especially being a, a, around the game. But you're in an NCAA Division II uh, program, and talk about the, the the coach that you worked for, maybe the system that you guys that you coached under, and and some things that you gained from that experience that you would add to what you learned as a player. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so Coach Niven, he was in his second year when he hired me. 
Um, and, you know, just trying to get the program up and going, you know, average ACT of a freshman there is like 28, 29. So we're recruiting kind of nationally. And I, you know, I had sold them on, like, I don't have recruiting experience, but I'm going to do whatever I have to, to be a good recruiter. Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's the way you move up. That's the way you make things happen. Um, so I mean, the best thing he did is he just let me lose recruiting and he didn't care where I got the kids from. It just go get me some players, get me some kids with grades, you know, finding a kid with a 28 ACT who can really play is a challenge. <laughs> it's not very uh, easy. <laughs> and then, you know, not everybody's gun ho when you say it's in Mobile, Alabama too, because most people just don't know. Like you said, it's a beautiful place, but you know, when you're from New Jersey, Mobile, Alabama might as well be, you know, China. <laughs> uh, so he let me do a lot of recruiting. Um, I love that. Uh, we had a JV team. I was coaching the JV team. That was a, an eye-opening experience just because down there, not a ton of schools have JV teams. So you're playing a lot of junior colleges, uh, especially some of the ones in Mississippi, <laughs> where, you know, loaded. Um, so, you know, go go and play and get your head beat in. But just a great experience nonetheless. You know, running my own practices. Where, you know, he I ran whatever I wanted to run offensively. It was That, that was a good experience. Um, and then just his philosophy, you know, we played pack line defense and we just ran straight four out, one in motion. Didn't have a whole lot of sets. Um, just did a lot of, uh, of screening. Um, and I, I learned a ton about the game of basketball from him with, with that and just understanding screening angles and uh, setting your man up for screens. And uh, there, there's just an art to it. Like you can talk about it all you want, but until you do it a thousand times in practice and start reading things and reading slips and, you know, most teams would switch everything. So then you have to start screening your own man. And there's just so many nuances to, to, to motion offense and it just made me think about basketball in a way I had never thought about. And most people don't now just because the world's so ball screen dominant. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I had Brooks Miller from Trine University on recently on the podcast, and he's a, a primarily a motion coach as well. And obviously they use ball screens. Everybody does. But there's just a different uh, skill development program for, for that and, and, and teaching kids to play the, the way you want them to play. But you mentioned getting to run your own practices and, and, and really have some experiences that would prepare you uh, maybe for a next step in coaching. And, and I, I, again, I'm, I'm trying to remember from, from the bio that you sent me and that we, things we talked about, uh, you made them, did you were at Spring Hill for what, one or two years? I was there for two years. So okay. My master's program was two years long. Two years, and then and then you made the move. Uh, you stayed in the South and continued to coach, but made the move to the junior college ranks. I did. I uh, my my first gig out of there was at Miami Dade College in Miami, Florida. So went went even further south, even further from Bryan, Ohio. <laughs> well, if you're gonna go south, you might as well go to Miami. That's not all bad. But you spent you spent time at at Miami Dade uh, as a junior college coach, and then. Your next stop in the, in the last three or four minutes we've got here is the one I really wanted to kind of get into. We can't spend a ton of time. Maybe after the break we can get into it more. But you became program director at a at a prep school, essentially, right, in North Carolina? Yeah, I was at Combine Academy. Um, right now, definitely has a lot of a lot of buzz around it because their their high school team is one of the you know top 10, 15 programs in the country. Jeff McGinnis to play in the NBA is coaching their high school team. But I, I spent time there coaching a uh, post-grad level. So I had you know, 40 kids in the program and then I coached the national team. So from a pretty young age was uh, 
running my own program essentially um, with the help of a really great staff, but definitely got to cut my teeth pretty early. It sounds like a remarkable experience and one that I, I between that and your and your and your 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 trip to Mobile, Alabama, and your and your summer spent living out of your car, you ought to write a book. Uh, I think it would be an interesting read uh, to get into what it was like to coach the caliber of player that you do at a postgraduate uh, prep school uh, and, and competing, you know, on the national and international level, I, I think would have to be just a fascinating uh, thing to get to experience as a coach. Um, we're going to take our, our break now. And then after our break, I want to get into what I think may have been the, the part of your career that maybe opened the most doors. And that's your relationship with Adidas basketball. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of jump in there and, see, and and talk about what that led to when we come back from our break. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. Hey, I wanted to take just a second and tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, I'd like you to consider uh, being a partner to the show. We've lost our sponsorship with Anchor. They're still our platform, but the sponsorship agreement ha- has ended after four months. And, and I would really like you to consider being a sponsor and a partner to the show. There's a place at anchor.fm where you can uh, donate to the podcast on a monthly basis, and it can be as small as a couple of dollars and as large as you would like it to be. Uh, and we would like to consider uh, some title sponsorship if we get some some donations that are, are, are larger in nature. But I, I really am just hopeful that, that a handful of listeners who enjoy what we do here would like to see this continue and allow us the opportunity to, to gain from it and pay off some things too on our end here at the podcast. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you enjoy what we do and you have any interest at all in, in being a sponsor and, and making a monthly donation to the podcast, please visit anchor.fm and uh, check out the option of, of making a monthly donation to the podcast. Greatly appreciate your consideration. And as always, whether you're a donor or not, uh, we hope you continue to listen and find enjoyment in Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. So, Coach, what I really, you know, when you talked about the different levels of experiences you've had, I, I again, I still think your your journey's interesting in and of itself. But there's something just unique about being heavily involved in and running a program at, at a prep school like Combine Academy and and high level talent. I mean, you you had mentioned 14 future Division One players come through the program, and you're in in Charlotte, North Carolina, for two years involved in a level of basketball that not a lot of our listeners can relate to or connect to. What ultimately was the impetus behind making a move away from, from, from that place in North Carolina? Yeah, it was my end goal had always been to, to coach at the highest level possible. Um, the professional level was just something I, I wanted to do forever. And I had come close. I had some internship stuff and whatnot I'd interviewed for, but just the, the NBA stuff is just so cutthroat to get into. And so I just knew, you know, it sounds strange, but I was kind of running out of time. Like uh, the more people I talked to, the more say you've got to get in, you know, by the end of your 20s or it's just gets it gets really hard so i knew if i was going to do it i kind of had to do it now and i had to go all in um and so i I took a bit of a leap of faith um and uh that that was left a a pretty good situation behind um but you know i've i've bet on yourself was kind of my is always my thing and it it worked to that point so i i took a bit of a leap of faith and and what what exactly did you 
when you don't when you have a, a desire to go accomplish a goal but you don't have a roadmap, what what did you see as the first thing you wanted to try and get started into when you left Combine? Yeah, it was anything entry level in the NBA, whether it's G League or the NBA, whether that's video um, operations, whatever I needed to do. I had come close before. I had a pretty, I have a, you know, a decent network in that realm, um, but I was just kind of, you know, willing to do basically whatever. Um, I knew that first year could be a real punch in the face, and I may work for free or whatever. But uh, as you and I kind of discussed, you know, now is the time in life to do it if you're going to do that type of thing. And when did you begin your relationship with Adidas basketball? So the Adidas thing actually started while I was at GA. Um, I've been working, like I said, I work at any and every camp possible. And Reebok Breakout Classic was still a thing then. Uh, Reebok was still in basketball at the time. And they have their camp in Philadelphia every year, uh, kind of famously where John Wall kind of had his coming out party. Um, and so I ended up getting lucky, sent a random email, didn't know anybody, and they agreed to let me work. Um, so I took didn't have any money, had a 1994 Oldsmobile Cutlass that I didn't think was going to make it to Philadelphia from Bryan, Ohio. So I took a uh, took a 17-hour train ride on the Amtrak there and went there, put in, didn't put, did the best work I could for the week, met a bunch of people. Um, the following year, Reebok basketball kind of disbanded, and half of the people went to Under Armour, half of the people went to Adidas, so I had connections in both. So the following summer did uh, some of the live period events and camp stuff for, for, for both sneaker brands. Um, the Adidas people took a liking to me. They were, you know, just were, were nice to me and helped me out when they didn't have to, and I kind of busted my butt for them, and it just kind of blossomed from there. And when, when we talk about Adidas's involvement in basketball, I mean, let's face it, when we start talking about sneaker company involvement in basketball, most people think about this, the, the seedy side of things and, and the things that we, we read the glamorous and maybe not so glamorous, but eye-catching headlines about the negative side of that. But uh, the, the, the basketball division at Adidas has done some remarkably good things between their Euro camp, their Adidas Nations program, and, and, and they do a lot of events that not only are great for, for players, but obviously are good for aspiring coaches. Yeah, no, no, without a doubt. Um, you know, like anything, there, there's probably some good with some bad. You know, I have had nothing but a positive experience. Uh, people who, you know, just really solid people who looked out for me and, you know, try to put people in situations where they can grow. And, you know, every my, my the best thing that they did is, once I proved myself that I could think for myself, they would just hand me different tasks at events and say, you're going to handle this. We don't necessarily care how, you know, give me, gave me some guidelines, but other than that, like just make sure this is handled a certain way. Um, and so, you know, through that was able to coach at, um, coach at Adidas nations one year. I helped with check-in stuff, product room stuff. I was able to go to Italy two years in a row, um, you know, helping run live period events all over the country, you know, catering to college coaches, making sure they had what they needed. Um, you know, you name it with an event, anybody who's run events, you know, there's a million different hats everyone has to wear. So I think just being available and willing to do anything, um, it, it goes far in basketball, I think, and no matter what situation you're in. Well, and you said it, I think the other thing is whatever your, whatever your chosen path is or whatever your goal is, and you may not determine the path that you take to get there. I, I think particularly young coaches need to embrace the idea that 
everything is an opportunity and nothing is beneath you. And, and I think there's too many times that that, that isn't grasped by some people that, you know, there, there's, there's a reason why, you know, doing the quote unquote grunt work is the right step sometimes, because as you've demonstrated with what you've told us about your story, the most important thing is being connected to people. And, and, and the way you get connected to people is you build a reputation that is that whatever this guy does, he's going to do it, do it really well. And he's going to do it, you know, take it seriously. And I, I think, again, regardless of what level you're working at, regardless of what the, 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 the title looks like, it's, it's, are you, are you producing in the job that you have? And the earlier you can learn that in life, I think the better off you're going to be. And certainly it served you well. You, you obviously learned very early that connections are important. And uh, you and I are going to spend some time talking about the, this last calendar year and, and what it's been like for you. But your Adidas basketball experience connected you to some, I, I guess there's no other way to say it, connected you to some basketball blue bloods that have helped your career. Without a doubt. Um, you know, first of all, like Chris Rivers is kind of like my biggest mentor in life. Um, some people may not know him, but he was, uh, you know, basically helped run Adidas basketball for a long time, was really involved with Reebok, but he came up under Sonny Vaccaro, who, you know, most people know. So just having someone like that who's seen so much of basketball from a kind of a business perspective as someone who's really invested in me and someone I talk to about every day. Um, he's someone who's been super helpful for me. He has his own uh, sports marketing company now. Um, so I do some some projects for him on the side, but just someone I you know, if he told me to go sell used cars in South Dakota because it'd be good for my career, I would go sell used cars in South Dakota. Um, just <laughs> that type of person. Um, but, but through that, you know, another key person who, who was doing some stuff for Adidas at the time was Seth Greenberg. Um, and I've got to know Coach Greenberg really well through this. Um, second year I went to Italy, he coached the team we took there with um, you know, some really good players. Nasir Little, who's in the league now, uh, some, some other guys. Um, but he was the head coach. I was his assistant coach. Got to know him through that. And he'd be at all the events and just someone who took a liking to me and has looked out for me. And, you know, is obviously a, a great reference that people use whenever I need to you know, try to get my, my foot in the door somewhere. Um, but, but definitely a, a really good guy, um, a, a character. Well, what you see on TV is kind of how he is. He, he, he's hilarious, says what he thinks. Um, just, just a great guy all around. And someone, obviously, who's done stuff for me when he really didn't have to. You know, I don't have anything that benefits him, but he, he you know, always answers my calls, checks in on me. And it's just something I'm really appreciative of. Well, and, and, you know, for, for true basketball fans, they'll recognize Seth Greenberg maybe now as much as anything as an analyst, uh, but a guy who was a, a terrific college basketball coach um, across Division One levels. Again, most most well-known for his time at Virginia Tech when he might have had the worst run of luck of any coach in the history of college basketball with getting left out of the NCAA tournament three three at least three consecutive years when he had a really good team. But uh, and a guy with a, uh, you and I talked before we started recording. He's got a podcast with Dan Dockich that's outstanding work uh, courtside it, it, with Greenberg and Dockich is an outstanding podcast. But you said something there that I think bears repeating and really kind of resonates well with me is that we, we, we can learn a lot most of the time from the people that are, are willing to do things for us when we don't necessarily have a lot to offer them. And that's, that's lacking sometimes in the world too, Matt. I think hopefully that's a lesson for, for you and for me and for everybody is there are, there are people out there that maybe can't offer us things that can benefit from what we have to offer. And, and for Seth Greenberg to be a guy like that for you is 
obviously a, a, a value for you, and it, and it created an opening for, uh, for you, a, a door to open to give you a great opportunity to spend time coaching here overseas. Yeah, um, yeah, just through Coach, um, you know, he's been a great resource for me, and through through him, I got to know his, his brother Brad Greenberg, uh, who's you know maybe as impressive of a basketball resume as I've ever come across. I mean, I was I joked with people this year. I mean, his first big time coaching gig was a D one assistant gig in 1976. 14 years before I was born, and that was the guy I, I ended up coaching under Brad this year in Israel. That was the guy I was learning from. Um, so just, you know, being extremely blessed to have met Seth and for him to invest in me and for him to, you know, put his neck out there for me a little bit with other people, including his brother. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit, if you would, then. I mean, now, now when we when we kind of flesh out your story a little more fully, again, what, what I'm struck by is – junior college playing experience, division two coaching experience, junior college coaching experience, coaching experience and running your own team and entire program at a, at a prep school. Um, but you had said you had had a, like a, a long-term goal and all along you wanted to get to the professional ranks and, um, you know, to the average, maybe casual fan, we say coaching in Israel in a professional league, that's that's not exactly the same thing as the NBA, and, and it's not. But the first division, uh, the Israeli Premier League that you coached in is high-level basketball. Brad Greenberg is as well-respected of a coach overseas as we've got in the game over there. And talk a little bit about the what stands out to you about the differences in that game and, and what you maybe learned during this year. Um I don't know if any of it would have been surprising, but what stands out about what you gained and learned from a basketball perspective this year compared to some of those other experiences? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the first thing, it took me a while, like every, you know, every level of game you're around that gets faster, it takes you a second for you as a coach to catch up to speed. And probably like the first two weeks I was there, I mean, I didn't know what I was watching in practice or in games sometimes just because it was so fast. Um, that was, that was definitely something that, that took me some time to adjust to, um, you know, just the caliber of player, you know, I talk to people all the time or kids who are like, you know, I want to go play overseas and all that. And that's a great goal, but just understanding how good these guys are and how few jobs there are, you know, like most people don't realize, you know, like in Israel, you only can have four import players, which is usually four Americans. So there's only, you know, there may be 15 teams in first division, but that means there's only 60 jobs for Americans, you know? So like our best players over there were like Elijah Johnson that played at Kansas, mm -hmm. you know, averaged yeah. 15, 16 points a game in the big 12 as a senior, like pretty good player. You know, LaDonte Hinton played at Providence from Lansing, Michigan, scored you know, 1500 points, a thousand rebounds at Providence. You know, we had some guys, Sue Douglas that played at Michigan. You know, there's a, those were our, some of our guys, American guys. And like, you know, they were good players. Don't get me wrong. We had some really good players, but we weren't, you know, we did, we finished in, near the bottom of the league. You know, just how good you have to be to, to play over there. Um, that was the thing. And then just style of play. Every, I mean, they just ball screen you to death. Um, the Israeli league especially. You know, I've watched, you know, and chased the NBA stuff, and I had tried for some other overseas jobs, watched a ton of EuroLeague film, um, Euro Cup, all, all that stuff. Just the amount of ball screens and read that the reads these guys make and really like the Israeli league is a short roll league almost no one dives to the basket it's all short roll 
um, short roll and play make. So, you know, especially middle ball screen, hit the short roll guy. And like, you know, Jokic did it is unbelievable. I have hit the short roll and that touch pass to the corner when they try to tag on ball screens. I mean, we see that. Uh, I mean, we had a game this year. We gave up five threes where they hit the short roll guy, the tag guy got sucked too far, and they tapped it to the corner, and they got an open three. And, you know, these are pros. They're going to make open threes. And, and I, I would be fascinated to know when you talk about co- coaching under Brad Greenberg and, and the style of play that you just described. And, again, basketball junkies are, are, that might listen to the podcast are people that have probably seen – Euro league basketball or seen international competition and, and understand what you're talking about. I think that the tempo of the game, the, the, the pace of play in the half court is, is a lot higher than what we get used to in this country. The ball seems to move a little better. Um, but when you talk about that type of focus offensively, what was it like working under Brad Greenberg and describe, you know, how a typical practice might be. Was, was it different than anything you'd experienced so far? Yeah, so, so Coach Greenberg is like an offensive savant. Like our playbook was, I mean, we probably ran 30 sets and there were different options out of it. So just, it took me a while to pick up on, I mean, 30 sets, no matter what you're running, it will take you some time to learn, but just the intricacies of it at the pro level. Um, and that that was definitely, took me a little bit of a, uh, with a little bit of an adjustment. It was just all such good stuff. Like we'd run, right when you start to get a feel for a certain set, we'd start running something else different. And you just start picking up on, you know, these little intricacies um, and just the stuff he would see. Like I said, he, he his first big time coaching experience was in 1976. Like this guy's seen more basketball or forgotten more basketball than I'll ever see. Uh, so just how quickly he would pick up on stuff. Um, you know, our practices, we played a good amount, um, you know, and over there, like we only played in the Israeli league, like some of the, the better teams have, uh, you know, Maccabi Tel Aviv, what people heard of, Hapwell Jerusalem, some of the other ones will play in the domestic league and they'll play in a league that's all around Europe. Well, we, we're just a low, uh, smaller level team. So we only played in the Israeli league. So there'd be times you'd only play once every 10 days. So we had a lot of time to practice um, so that the practices, you know, we spent a lot of time playing. Um, but overall, like he wasn't a guy who was trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, we went through our sets, did a lot of five on O, did a lot of shooting, did a lot of three on O, did a lot of ball screen reads. Um, and, you know, kind of where I ended up fitting in was, you know, defensively, we didn't have a great defensive team, so he kind of honestly turned it over to me. Um, and you know, he, he would step in, but we, you know, I decided let's guard ball screens different. And we actually started playing a lot of zone, like true zone. We play one three one, we play three two, just throw jump defenses out there and try to keep people off balance and bait people to shoot at threes. We're trying to get teams to shoot forty threes a game. So just it, it was just a different game, you know, um, and. and that, 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 I learned a lot about defense just because at the pro level, the guys are just so good and see the floor so well, and it's just so fast. Being able to see, you know, we'd be in a zone, and they teams would start picking us apart with something, and I having to identify how they're picking us apart, and then, all right, what adjustment are we going to make and be able to do that on the fly? Um, major learning curve. Well, and, and I, I've always – I think the, the my my greatest curiosity about the, the professional level, whatever level it is, if it's professional basketball, is generally speaking, 
the game coaching is 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 where it's at because there is a, generally a little bit less practice time or it's at least reduced practice time and, and and you are competing at a high level and what you said about you know you, you get to run something for a little bit but at that level the coaching's good the preparation's good and, and and a set that you might run as a high school or small college coach that you can maybe get three or four games out of a set that's kind of effective for you you might, you might only play a game and, and by the first half of the next game or the second half of the next game, that that's done. They've taken that away and, and you got to make some, some serious adjustments. So I think that's a little bit interesting that you got to, you got to keep your focus on the defensive end of the floor and, and get into those things. When you talk about, you know, mixing up your defenses and changing defenses frequently uh, to try to keep teams off balance, uh, what were some of the actions maybe against zones that, that gave you the most trouble? Because I, I think obviously everybody's that's watched the NBA playoffs and now we're getting into the finals. They, they talk about Miami playing a zone and that there was so much talk about Boston struggling with it. At times I wanted to vomit because everybody struggles with a zone if they miss shots. <laughs> the Celtics were missing shots. But what, what, what did you see when you were as responsible for the defense as you were? What were the actions that gave you the most trouble? Yeah, um, definitely a lot of stuff screen in the bottom guy I mean nothing reinventing the wheel but you know they don't quite value Israel the corner three quite like they do in the NBA um, so they would send a baseline runner a lot but a lot of times that baseline runner would be a screener and especially like people forget like that's one of the big differences especially over there is like there's no such thing as an illegal screen right so you can pretty much get away with anything so just those baseline runners would be out there head hunting you know, playing linebacker, trying to set screens, essentially. So th- that was definitely, you know, just calling it out and just guys move. When you're – the guy's six six and athletic running from corner to corner, they get from corner to corner pretty quick, which is a little different than the high school level or, you know, even the college level. Um, I would say that. Now, nothing they did reinvented the wheel. It was just the screens were so physical and, like, just the importance of closing out. Like, we worked on closeouts nonstop and getting a second closeout, fly at a shooter, you land out of bounds, flying back, trying to get a hand. We spent a ton of time working on that. Um, Because we ended up – our thing ended up being, like, especially with ball screen coverage and man, is we would try to – Middle ball screen, which they set more middle ball screens than side ball screens there, is, you know, be on the line, up the line, uh, you know, kind of stunned. And we try to stunt hard enough to force the corner through, pass the corner, and then bust your butt to close out in corner threes. And we just, that, we kind of made that our philosophy. We're going to live and die with closing out on corner threes. Well, I, again, because of the level of basketball it is, I think there's just, there's, there's various levels of, of understanding and, and constantly learning and growing is what coaching is about. But when you get to experience that, and then also, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, and we're going to, you're experiencing all that from a pure coaching perspective. But you also, and you talked about betting on yourself a little bit. Within the last couple of years, you settled yourself in Lexington, and you've kind of created your own basketball-based business, which, again, I think is very, very interesting. Two things about life in Lexington. One, I understand you spent some time coaching at Transylvania University and helping there for at least a season. And then the second thing about life in Lexington is – that's really, really basketball country. It would make sense to me that if you've got your own business that involves a little bit of personal training and individual training, you got a chance to make it. Yeah, no, Lexington's been unbelievable to me. Uh, yeah, I had a great experience coaching at Transylvania under uh, Coach Brian Lane. And uh, honestly, I've done some 
I've been really blessed. Like basketball has been incredible to me, but maybe the most enjoyable thing I've done was my year there, just volunteering, being around. Cause you know, coach Lane been a head coach for a long time, coached at the high major levels and assistant. And then the two assistant coaches were Kyle Macy, who you know, played at UK, played for the Bulls, played over, you know, been the head coach at Morad. He was one of the assistants. And then a high school coach named Steve Wright, who's won, I don't know, six, 700 games, bunch of state titles. That was the other assistant. So I was around three guys who, you know, unbelievable basketball minds and like, you know, I'd go recruiting with them or we'd be in a coach's meeting and just like writing down the stuff they say. And it, that was an unbelievable experience for me. Um, and then, like you said, people are just basketball crazy here. And, you know, when the NGA thing didn't end up working out for me and I decided to come here, I knew, you know, with my own experiences, I think I could make the training thing work as a way, you know, to make ends meet until the following year when the next hiring cycle came. And uh, it started the training thing, drove a little bit of Uber on the side, was just hustling to make it work and, and made it work. And then really, you know, after a few months of doing it, it started to take off and uh, you know, spent a lot of time in the gym training uh, high school kids and then summer some college and pro guys as well. Well, I, and, and that's obviously there's a business there that's become extremely profitable for some people. And, and, and there's always opportunity in that and obviously where you're at in Lexington is helpful. You've got your own website, mattjoneshoops.com for anybody that's interested in checking out the things that you do from a training perspective and other uh, basketball-based consulting and things that you are available for. Again, mattjoneshoops.com is available for people to check that out if they're so interested. But I want to wrap up with, with kind of a full circle question here because a big part of what attracted you to me and, and, and what led to this, this kind of coming together is you, you knew the podcast was out there. You found the podcast, but what connected us was you're a Northwest Ohio guy. And a lot of the guests that I've had been fortunate enough to have on the podcast are people that you are connected to. And I've said this, Matt, for my whole life and I'm biased. I've always lived here. The state of Ohio has, in my estimation, the best high school basketball coaching, maybe anywhere in the country. I would say certainly uh, in this region of the country, this state's basketball coaching is is out of this world, and the northwest part of the state is exceptionally good. You've been influenced by a ton of people and coaches in northwest Ohio. When you look at where you're at now and you think back to the influences some of those people had on you, what are the things that stand out that you really remember and, and, and value as far as what was added to you by those people? Yeah, I mean, I, part of it is just like, birthright almost like I tell people I'm the most northwest Ohio person ever my mom graduated from Patrick Henry and my dad went to defiance so you know my dad grew up and graduated was good friends with Kirk Lehman so been around him my whole life my parents actually met through uh Kevin Holmeyer who was the coach at Continental and had a great run there that's somebody I've known my whole life um Dave Dave coach Dave and coach Doug Krause both of them you know family friends of my mom's family forever both people who've been great to me um, but yeah, I just think, like you said, until you really venture out, like I was, I had no idea how good I had it growing up in Northwest Ohio with just the basketball culture and how much it matters to people. You know, I think that's, I don't think people value that enough is, you know, some of the best advice I ever got with coaching was like, make sure wherever you coach is, it matters to people because it's hard when people, well, what you're doing doesn't matter to people. And like, it matters a lot. You know, you go watch an Archibald Bastion game, a league game in February and, and you know, at Wasion, it's, it's going to be a sold out and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an atmosphere. They're going to play hard, all that. So I just think 
not to take that for granted. I would say that's like the one thing that I'll take away forever. Like I just don't know. People don't know. I think how good they have it being, you know, around so many good coaches and around so many communities where basketball can go out. Well, I, I would say with that understanding and, and knowing that you're in a very good place for that where you live now, but with the with the vast array of experiences you've had, it, it, would, it would seem to me, Matt, that when you look at whatever might be in front of you next, I, I would guess almost nothing seems impossible. So what, what, what do you look at or how are you lining up your plans for the next two to three years? What are you hoping is ahead for you? Yeah, I'm, uh, right now, just kind of waiting uh, for another job overseas with COVID, everything that the market for, you know, for teams are cutting their budgets by 30%, you know, and so just established clubs with money. So just in terms of coaches, that the budget isn't that high and they're, they're having less coaches and all that. Um, so I'm just kind of holding tight right now. Um, I have some different people I know helping me with that. Just kind of waiting to see what happens. Um, the next move really that I want to make is the G League assistant. Um, and, you know, I thought with being in Israel last year, that might be a possibility this year. But from the people I've talked to who are G League coaches, there's a good chance the G League doesn't even happen this season just because of money situations in the NBA. So right now I'm just kind of holding tight. Um, staying busy doing training stuff, got my hands on some scouting service stuff and whatnot. But definitely the goal is to get to the professional level. Um, to you know, I, I have no issue staying overseas for another year or two and just experiencing seeing the world. Uh, my time in Israel was unbelievable, just from a life experience. Um, so, really open to going anywhere as long as it's a you know a higher division club that I think can you know for a coach who can get me back stateside. Um, so that's kind of where I'm aimed right now. Um, obviously, if the right college job came around, I would be open. Um, have some couple friends who will be in the mix for some head jobs again or you know if they asked me to come I would I, you know really really think about it but for now I'm making a living in basketball doing training stuff consulting stuff and I'm really just thankful for that especially you know with, with many people right now that that COVID has you know made making a living pretty tough well you've got you've got a basketball life of remarkable experiences you've got some tremendous connections for a guy who's not reached the age of 30 yet. There's there's no place you haven't been and you've demonstrated there's no place you won't go. And, and with some of the connections and, and relationships that you've built, I would think it's going to open some doors for you. I'm just tickled to death that you were able to and interested in doing the podcast. And I want to wish you the best of luck. Hopefully uh, we'll get this, this pandemic thing behind everybody at some point and things will get back to something resembling normal and those doors will open up for you. But you are chasing the dream and I love it and I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you're doing for all the Ohio basketball folks. You've had some great guests on and something I really have enjoyed listening to. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.